You are listening to Living in the End Times with Amos and X, a podcast about politics and prose, theology theory, hijinks and pranks, and the everything and nothing to come. How you doing today, Amos? Good. It's uh, a balmy negative whatever. That's right. Time. This is so... Uh, I work for the state. 
of North Dakota, and uh, this is something like the fourth day off in two weeks we've had because of cold and wind and snow and blowing, and it's it's getting it's kind of making me crazy. Oh, yeah, like, the like polar not, vortex. That's right, and not getting out of the house and all that stuff. For the yeah, <clears throat> so we're recording on February seventh, twenty nineteen, and the polar vortex. Anybody listening probably knows that it's happening, but the reason it happens, people may not know is that when the Arctic ice retreats, the, the cold air or whatever on the North Pole starts to migrate south. And then uh, it'll hover over, like, so we'll have okay weather while the polar vortex is vortexing above us. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it starts to descend, at which point you get these record or almost record cold temperatures. Yeah. Um, this year it was kind of worse because of the it split off into i think three or four I think so. four separate vorte- yeah. vortices um and so why is the ice retreating obviously because of climate change so right. we can these are things that can be tied directly to the effects of climate change in the here and now mm-hmm. so the end times are here uh and what what's crazy and i don't I don't know if this proves anything. I don't even know what this is indicative of, but to me, like, I mean, you can call this a cultural phenomenon, I guess, but like in Grand Forks, the, um, is almost a point of pride that we'd never like almost never cancel school or let alone close any businesses. But now in the last two weeks, there's been multiple days where stores and restaurants are closed because of the weather, which is uh, completely unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's fine. Like it's probably a safety issue. So that that's okay. And I, and especially for the campus stuff, like people get frostbite walking to class cause they're, you know, like 18 year old dudes are really stupid and <laughs> will like wear literally wear shorts and sandals sometimes to class when it's like 40 below right. and the cops have to pick them up so they don't die or whatever. Um, and I am saying that I'm, I'm saying that specifically about 18-year-old dudes because in my experience, like, 18, 19-year-old young women are much smarter um, <laughs> from my observation. If that's I, just a developmental thing. If I can interject, wasn't there a UND hockey player who uh, basically walked barefoot across the field in weather like this oh. a few years ago and got frostbite and lost a couple toes? That wouldn't surprise me at yeah, all. Yeah, I forget. I, I won't mention the name. I don't remember it anyway, but that was, he was you know, a starter. On yeah, the team. so point, case in point, I suppose... Um, okay, so we've been talking about art, uh, the politics of art, mm-hmm. I suppose, of film and uh, lit- literature for the last few episodes. We're punk gonna, rock. Punk so. rock. So we're going to move back to, um, obvi- there probably will be, of course, references to art, given our literary dispositions, but um, we're going to move back to talking about politics tonight, at least as an opening. So... Where 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 do we where to begin? Well, maybe as a way into that. Um, I mean, speaking of climate, I suppose it should be climate change and or Green New Deal. But we're uh, the listeners should know we're coming we're coming at you from a, a different location. We're recording in a uh, I guess a co working space uh, in downtown Grand Forks, North Dakota, and we wandered in here, and Mr. Amos uh, just on one of the desks at random was searching out the space and found a copy of a zine that he and I or I and others in the community put it published something like 15 years ago and it's just here i have no idea why 
17 years ago. Yeah, or, probably 2003 or something like yeah. that. Um, and we're just trying to figure out what the hell is that doing here? Is the first issue. Yeah, in uh, I haven't seen. I mean, I have. I've like in my own personal archives. I have a bunch of copies of each e- issue, but I've not seen one in the wild for mm. probably a decade. No, which is just re- you know normal. Why? Why would I? Right. So we yeah, this, it's mysterious, but you know who knows? Who yeah. knows what undercurrents? I know. So if anybody knows where that came from, let us know. <laughs> but we're um, so we're we're in a different space, and we have we're not in a basement at the moment. We we can look out, look outside. We can see the you know the snow blowing by. We can see um, cars that won't start. I mean all that kind of thing, um, and that's interesting insofar as um, just today I think it was wasn't it? Um, um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and her co-sponsors sort of sort of produced uh, publicly their first draft of this Green New Deal legislation. Right. Which um, is interesting, and I think uh, a lot of folks, a lot of folks, I mean, folks are excited about it on the left. Um, a lot of folks are pissed off about it if they're in the center or on the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's maybe a good place to start. So you know more what's in the bill probably than I do, but yeah, I mean, it's what's not in it as far as like, like for something as sweeping as a New Deal, it's very skeletal in terms sure. of what it's describing. I mean, it's. It, uh, it seems like a kind of generalized tip of the hat to maybe a tendency that we should pursue about mm-hmm. um, like basically the proposal is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 80% by 2030 and mm-hmm. then go to zero, zero net carbon emissions by 2050. Um, the, the immediate re- reaction by the pro-nuclear world was pretty i mean they're they're fairly like reasoned in their critiques but kind of in being scientists typically um well i just mean the kind of online culture which Mm. is primarily it's a lot of it is scientists and engineers who are advocating for nuclear power but also just kind of pro-nuclear advocates such as uh me or ourselves who see the need that that basically nuclear is the only path to these sorts of radical decreases of emissions quickly, right? Right. It, well, no period. I oh. mean, so the I'll and I'll get into that in a second. But here's the here's the initial response uh, this mor- um the morning of February seventh from Pandora's Promise, which is a pro nuclear documentary that's very well done. Uh, quote, the Green New Deal is a great idea. We should have started this decades ago, but better late than never. Our future depends on it, or depends on its success. But the Green New Deal contains a fatal flaw that will almost certainly doom it to failure. It calls for ending the use of nuclear energy, which currently provides 60% of America's non-CO2-emitting electricity generation. And, there, and there's currently no known way to power an entire country with renewable energy alone. Uh, so he's distinguishing between renewables like <coughs> um, wind and solar and nuclear. So he's making a distinction, or they're making a distinction. It's entirely theoretical, the idea of powering a country by renewable alone, and most of the leading energy experts will tell you it's impossible. To abandon our largest single source of non-CO2-emitting energy in the midst of a climate crisis is a fool's errand. To attempt to take off the table the only technology that's actually succeeded in replacing fossil fuels is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Green renewable-powered Germany has twice the CO2 emissions of nuclear-powered France, and at twice the cost. 
Greens need to bite the bullet, swallow their mistrust of nuclear energy, and put, in all caps, everything on the table to solve this problem. This is what happens when our leaders, let alone the rest of us, inhabit an information bubble in which hard, inconvenient truths are unwelcome. So <clears throat> the, the problem with solar and wind is that, and I'm no, I, I can't speak about the actual numbers, but from many different like lectures and stuff I've, and reading about it, um, the problem with <laughs> the problem with solar and wind is best articulated by I think it was the sequel to I Honey, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, <laughs> when Rick Moranis has this solar powered car but he can't like get around because the it's a direct current situation so if the sun's not out like he can't move, um, which is at the time seemed reactionary but mm. in retrospect it's kind of the that sort of like gives us a vision of the problem. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> Obviously, the sun's only shining half the time, um, and the wind's not always blowing. Now, some who are very invested in renewables uh, as a solution have argued that wind and solar will offset each other and functionally provide baseload power. Baseload power means constant power. Mm -hmm. And so right now, the only sources of constant power that we have are hydroelectric, nuclear, and fossil fuels, meaning... So, you know, obviously, like, you, you dam a river, it doesn't stop flowing. Uh, nuclear fission keeps fissioning. We, you can keep burning uh, coal, natural gas, right. or diesel. Without, <clears throat> and so the, that's, the. I think the thing that gets lost sometimes is that when people are criticizing renewables from the perspective of nuclear power or on the left, the critique isn't, this is a bad idea. The critique is, this would be nice if it worked, but unfortunately it does not work. Um, it does not work because it cannot scale. It cannot provide us uh, enough energy to keep running the society. And at this point, the way the society is structured, to argue, uh, to argue for reducing energy consumption at scale is an argument for genocide. So that would be a Malthusian argument to basically, you just have to wipe out a, a huge portion of the population. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> with nuclear fission, uh, fusion is a ways off, but with nuclear fission, we can we have we have the technology to reliably, consistently, safely, and with the least amount of pollution of any energy source, including solar and wind, because solar panels are extremely toxic to use and to even if you theoretically could scale up and create enough solar panels and wind turbines to power the world, the land use required would be m insanely huge, and the toxic chemicals required to make solar panels are a problem. And wind, tur wind turbines in some environments are considered apex predators because they kill so many birds. Right. So, um, again, it would be nice if these things scaled and worked but they don't nuclear you can you can power an entire you know city of like grand fork sixty thousand people with a very small reactor that is passively safe meaning there's no possible way technically for it to melt down given new um, next generation nuclear technologies which i won't go through here um but <clears throat> and that's just one option other massively valuable elements of nuclear power are the fact that 
um, in places where nuclear is so compact and so um, efficient that like basically nuclear can run at like 92% capacity factor, which means it's producing 92% of the energy it possibly can produce at any time. Whereas less waste. Yeah. And, and, and it also means that that's a constant power mm -hmm. supply. Whereas, um, with wind and solar, the capacity factor is much, much lower. And what Germany found out, Germany tried to like transition to all renewables, but the reason that they were talking about how Germany has to like, it's more expensive and there's more pollution than in France, which has almost as primarily nuclear power um, because France used to burn diesel to power their power plants before they transitioned to nuclear. The reason it's so expensive is because <clears throat> when you get the more, the more wind turb turbines you put up, unfortunately, the less reliable that power source becomes at scale paradoxically. With nuclear, you don't never have that problem. Mm -hmm. um, people are worried about pollution. They're worried about radiation. A lot of those fears are based on these very like dramatic moments, like Fukushima or Chernobyl. Uh, Chernobyl was the, the basically like there are no there's no evidence that Chernobyl killed more than I don't know. I, it's like it's less at max like five thousand people total. Um, What's misunder one of the misunderstandings is the idea that like nuclear power plants emit radiation. That's not true. It's all contained and it's mm -hmm. all highly regulated, especially in the U.S. In the U.S., nuclear waste is dried and held in casks that are that basically just sit. Uh, it, generally speaking, it, a lot of it's concentrated in I think Kentucky. We have, we now have, and that's very extremely safe um, because of how regulated it is. Whereas with coal, what people don't know is when you burn coal, coal emits radiation when you burn it that is totally unregulated and unmeasured. And so when you try to measure out how much radiation is produced by burning coal, you start to see that it just, it's orders of magnitude beyond anything nuclear ever could at scale even though nuclear doesn't, basically emits nothing. Even Fukushima um, was not as, uh, it's terrifying to think about radiation leaking into the environment. It's ter terrifying to, like what they, th people think that there was a, a nuclear explosion at Fukushima. It was not a nuclear explosion. What happened was <clears throat> because of how those reactors were designed, since they're water cooled, that's the, one of the reasons you need these huge containment vessels for, um, those are called light water reactors. Because water it gets pressurized and basically need 300 atmospheres of um, containment so that the water is able to be pressurized enough to functionally cool the plants. But the way that those are designed is you need constant power. And in, the designer of th that type of reactor himself said or in the 50s, there could be these very extreme situations where you lose all power and backup power, and then that's the point at which a meltdown can occur, which is what happened. But during that meltdown, all that happened, the reason there was an explosion was because the heat was so intense and the radiation was so intense that it was ripping apart water molecules, producing hydrogen gas. That hydrogen gas got sparked. That's what exploded. So it wasn't like a nuclear bomb went off. It's just that the, <clears throat> the containment and the backup generators went out because there was an earthquake and a tsunami, and no one could get... 
we didn't ha at that point have robot technology that could just go in and basically turn a valve and stop the flow of all this radiation or radioactively polluted um, water and etc. That's very abridged, but you get the idea. Anyway, with new generations of nuclear power, what's possible now is to use the nuclear waste to repurpose it as fuel. Um, and <clears throat> um, there are different reactor designs, but uh, a lot of them rely on salt rather than water as the uh, heat transfer agent. And salts, either fluoride salts or just chloride salts, like table salt, they can contain massive amounts of heat and they become liquid at a certain heat. And nuclear needs to run usually at, um, depending on your choice of reactor design, uh, you know, thousands of degrees Fahrenheit. But you can design them such that they're passively safe. What that means is in a potential loss of backup power, which probably would even be almost impossible because they're self-powering, obviously, they're powering their own uh, generators and cooling systems, um, even if the, they can design them so that if they s lose the ability to cool themselves, the uh, elements separate out. So the salt drains out either into a tank or some other design uh, just into the bottom of a container. And then the ch nuclear chain reaction, the fission stops. So in, at an inert level, like if you just have uranium sitting there, it's not generating power. It might be radiating uh, radiation, but it's not producing power. When it's, <clears throat> when it's um, without getting into all the science of it, basically, like you can separate the, the, the element, the moderator that creates the chain reaction, make, facilitates the chain reaction, and the nuclear materials, the fissile materials. And when those fissile materials are removed from the moderator, the chain reaction stops, energy generation stops, it just cools over time. You're done. No meltdown. The melt, it's like the opposite of a meltdown. Cool um, down. Yeah, cool down. <clears throat> okay, so that's just a kind of, if, if people have literally no awareness of nuclear power, and it's common for people not to have any awareness of nuclear power because it's become kind of taboo, what coal produce, the, the amount of radiation burning coal releases in the atmosphere probably in a week outstrips anything nuclear's ever done in the last hundred years, or however, you know, since the 50s, whenever we discovered the, or created the first reactors. So that's one issue. Now, <clears throat> now the question might be, and this is what I've been trying to sort out, and I think I have a fairly good answer. Um, why, why, is, why, is wind, why have wind and solar been embraced by some green capitalists? What's the, why not just go nuclear? If nuclear has all these benefits and we can prove how safe we can make it, and we know that these reactor designs work, then why not just go after that? Now, Bill Gates is going after it. Bill Gates is supporting nuclear and sees it as the only solution, and he's right. His, the company he's involved with is TerraPower, or Terrestrial Energy. Um, eh, maybe it's the same. I have to double-check on that. But he's lobbying Congress to take nuclear power more seriously uh, publicly. So what's the draw for green capitalists to... Um, solar and wind well the first paradox is a lot of the, <clears throat> the culprit here is natural gas so natural gas has been sold as a cleaner alternative to coal now in terms of burning and pollution it is cleaner the problem though is 
when it's fracked the production. Yeah, so right. pr production of natural gas is generally at this point done by gas fracking. And anybody who's seen Gasland or you know any of these, uh, the environmental cost of fracking for natural gas is severe. Mm -hmm. um, now, some of, there's been dis disputes about whether the you know lighting the lighting the water pipes, uh, lighting the faucets on fire was a, if that was, it, it's been disputed as to whether that was caused by fracking, but I, we can see a lot of, there's just a lot of, uh, an aggregate of evidence suggesting that mm -hmm. that is the culprit. Okay. So that's one problem that it pollutes aquifers to, to get it. The other problem is when methane escapes into the atmosphere, methane is a, is 86 times worse, more potent. Unburned methane is 86 times worse of worse natural gas than uh, CO2. As a as a car carbon capturing, or I mean, I'm sorry, as a climate sort of right heat trapping as gas. a greenhouse greenhouse gas in the sense of warming the yeah. earth. And so, like in North Dakota, for instance, we frack for oil, and in the process, methane is released. And so, what they'll do in the field is flare the methane, right. burn it. And people get pissed off, like, why are you wasting this? Well, because if you flare it, if you burn the methane, it's a much less potent greenhouse mm -hmm. gas. It's still a greenhouse gas, but it's much less dangerous for the environment. It's 86 times as potent as CO2 for a shorter period of time. It'll dissipate over time, but we don't have a long time scale to solve mm -hmm. this problem. So why am I bringing this up? If you're using an intermittent power supply power source like solar, because the sun's not always shining, obviously it's not shining half the day uh, or half of the 24-hour day. Um, but half the month in this state. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. I mean, how many how many hours of sunlight do we actually get in North right. Dakota? And right. uh, then, or with wind, you know, wind is intermittent. Obviously, it's more prevalent in certain places, and we can track that, and we can place strategically place wind and solar. Um, to give it a better energy yield, but ultimately we still need to rely on baseload power. So what's left? Natural gas. So my view is that selling solar panels and wind turbines is a way to continue to sell natural gas. And that's where fossil fuels, that's where the future of fossil fuels see themselves, I think, is natural gas. So that um, as people have pointed out, and this is not, this is not a conspiracy theory, this is just true, why, why are the Rus Russians in U.S. so interested in Syria? Well, part of the reason is they want to put a natural gas pipeline. They each want to put a natural gas pipeline through Syria because it will make it easier to... Um, it, it will open up uh, global markets more easily to supply. And I can't remember what this... Do you know where the pipeline is originating from? I Pipelines are originating from? Well, so anyway, natural gas reserves that <clears throat> the U.S., and Russia both have an interest in. Probably Iraq would be my guess. Yeah, right. Uh, but I don't know where... Ru the Russian ones might be in, oh. like, Kazakhstan Chechnya or, or something. something like that. Okay, so... Um, the, And so we, we need to be very careful of who's backing the play to push for... To, for, to get the left to push for these renewables that everyone knows cannot solve... Are not up to the task of... Mm -hmm. um, reducing fossil fuel emissions, carbon emissions by 80%. That's just not possible. With nuclear, you can go carbon negative. What does that mean? That means the amount of 
carbon or energy released in the production of nuclear power plants. The nuclear power plants can be created to be so big or so efficient or modularly efficient that you can run carbon capture uh, programs once the nuclear power plants or small modular reactors, which can be put on a bed of a truck and brought to places where there's no water or resources, and then everyone has electricity for free for, I think, one of the designs I've seen is like basically they're passively walk away safe for 30 years and they with constant power production. Um, <clears throat> it has all the benefits of chemical storage, meaning like fossil fuels without any of the carbon costs related. And so you can pull carbon out of the atmosphere. You can go carbon negative. You can go beyond even what AOC is uh, like heroically proposing. Um, and so I, I just want to draw a distinction. When people support green energy, they do so without probably foreknowledge of why nuclear is important and why renewables won't solve the problem and won't get us off fossil fuels. And then the fossil fuel companies, unfortunately, inadvertently benefit from this lack of knowledge. Right. right. And I'd be, and so this, uh, there's a lack of nuclear stuff generally in the Green New Deal, and that I think has a lot of folks frustrated, and that's where um, I think we've talked about this, but part of me wants to say if the Democrats were smarter, even AOC, um, they would sort of exploit, I don't think it's cynical even, to talk to Rick Perry, the Secretary of Energy right. from Texas, or Donald Trump, and say, look, we, we should throw some nuclear in here. You guys get what you want, we'll do this. Yeah. I think, and I think that would be, I'm not only a political win, but that's probably the, that's the right answer, 100%. environmentally as well. 100%, and yeah. paradoxically, Trump has been the most pro-nuclear president sure. for... I mean, more pro-nuclear than Bush, than Obama, than Clinton. Um, so one of the <clears throat> now, here's the here's the shifty counterargument to nuclear. When they're when like I, I watched a Singularity University lecture about someone pushing wind and solar, and they were he, he was asked about nuclear. He's like, I love nuclear. I think we should build more of it, but it's dead in the U.S. because it's too expensive and the, there's been no innovation. What he leaves out conveniently is. Nuclear has been so overregulated, and I'm not saying this as some sort of like crazy libertarian. libertarian yeah. I'm I'm saying overregulated. I'll explain what I mean in a second. Overregulated to the point of murder. Um, there are so much paperwork involved, and maybe this is loosened under Trump. But there was so much paperwork involved with building a new nuclear plant that it literally would take a staff of people 25 years working eight hours a day 40 hours a week to fill it all out like this is straight up stalinist uh bureaucracy like just crushing the potential for the industry as well as um it was it's illegal as i understand it and i could be wrong here but my understanding is it was or is illegal to pursue uh, new nuclear technology in development, even if, for an American, even if they go to another country, like wow. they can't go to Canada and try to develop um, molten salt reactors without running the risk. I think they, I think it's it's punishable with prison. Jeez, without becoming an expatriate or yeah. something or renouncing citizenship. Or right, and so as a result, they've had to, <clears throat> the people who have been trying to design like new test reactors and stuff in the U.S. leading up to Trump's election have had to uh, use these very exotic means of trying to make the existing technology safer rather than just using stuff we know already works. Mm -hmm. um, and so <clears throat> that's what I mean by overregulation. I don't mean like 
uh, worried about containment and all that stuff. Like safety is important, but this is just you know, a way to prevent it from happening. So then one might ask the question, well, why? So why come down on nuclear so hard? Well, for the same reason that um, people used to be against renewables uh, in the business class, because it will take, it will just wipe out fossil fuels um, sooner than later. Mm -hmm. And that's the promise of the, the film, the documentary Pandora's Promise, which I highly recommend for someone uh, unfamiliar with nuclear. They take the perspective of somebody who's anti-nuclear. I used to be anti-nuclear until I learned what was really going on. And, and many people have had that experience of sort of converting to a new way of looking at uh, nuclear power. Um, but the documentary is Pandora's Promise because it's, it's seen as this Pandora's box, but there's a promise of uh, like basically a new society. Um, pro-nuclear advocates uh, like Kirk, uh, I can't remember, Sorensen, I believe, he's been very active in promoting uh, thorium. Thorium is, uh, th that's a whole other conversation, but thorium has, thorium is highly abundant rare earth mineral that would, the if it were, if we had a functional molten salt reactor would allow us to like it basically you can get a shoebox full of thorium it'll power an entire city for a year um, that's how potent of a uh, how much energy is contained within thorium and again thorium is in like every rock on earth like it's everywhere um <clears throat> so the well, anyways oh, i'm getting a bit lost here so oh so the my 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 suspicion is that just by way of sort of passively making it harder and harder to deploy um, via kind of subtle lobbying because there was never much of a pro-nuclear lobby in the first place. Uh, the fossil fuel industry has been able to, you know, strategically just prevent it from deploying. Um, and I, I want to make clear that I don't... Now, I, I'm the... Uh, I think... I, I'm not as clear on... I, I try to look into it and it was not... I wasn't finding it, but I'll have to look some more. The sun, what's it called? The Sunrise Movement, uh, who's behind the Green New Deal. They were initially funded by a $50,000 grant from the Sierra Club. Uh, I think they were founded in 2017 uh, as a, an official org. And then they, 2018, they raised a million dollars. And they're expecting $2.5 this year. Um, I'm not sure if there's a, how strong the anti-nuclear contingent is i hope it's just out of ignorance uh i certainly don't think aoc personally has any beef with nuclear i think i think it's a mistake to attack political leadership mm -hmm. on this since they don't know shit about policy or technical technicalities of policy anyway generally and she's very new to the game so i my sense is and this was my comment on facebook if anybody's got her ear please uh you know, bring her the gospel of nuclear power because that can be the way that we can fold right wing. Like you mm -hmm. said, Rick Perry, <clears throat> you know, just work with Trump and say nuclear will solve all these problems because Trump mm -hmm. is openly pro nuclear and has loosened regs on exploring experimental reactors that right. will, will lead. That's a pathway to um, deploying nuclear all over the U.S. Which and then all over the world. China and India are much more actively pro-nuclear and the uh, to his credit the guy who's talking about nuclear in this 
solar and wind talk I was re- referencing earlier, he was like, uh, the, China and India are much more better positioned to um, deploy nuclear quickly. But I, well, the U.S. has to do it. We have to be. We have to be. We have to lead on this. Mm-hmm. If we lead on this. If we can get small modular reactors deployed to all corners of the world, we can solve any problems of scarcity. That's why I say scarcity is fake. Nuclear mm-hmm. and AI are the only two truly exponential technologies, in my view. Because if you if you create a situation where there's a baseline of nuclear power, baseload of nuclear power for decades all over the world and in the poorest corners of the, the world, you'll change reality permanently. Um, and but that without that, we will not be able to decarbonize, and the climate catastrophe, the genocide will then come for sure. Mm-hmm. The um, so on that on that note, and again in my just limited reading today, the criticism I've seen of the Green New Deal, and I think you and I are both on board with it generally, but you know are critical too in certain ways. It's been the there's not enough nuclear in it, and then there's a lot of uh, commentary from folks on the the right or far right, and the center about it being quote-unquote socialist, right? right. And, and maybe that allows us to transition a bit into State of the Union, which was a couple <laughs> days ago, finally, uh, because there was an interest. I mean, there are a lot of interesting lines, a lot of places to go with that speech, but um, I think there was talk of, by the president of Venezuela, and then he would, you know, went on to say in the United States, we will never be a socialist country, and people are cheering, they're shouting, USA, USA, et cetera, et cetera. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Um, and Bernie's sitting there just <laughs> frowning. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's hilarious. But um, so that sort of, um, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in that speech about energy and about sort of the, the move to, I, I mean, it's clear that if he's going to make a comment like that and a speech like that as part of a, point I made elsewhere was that, uh, you know, we've talked about no country for old men and you, you can't stop what's coming. I feel like right. like that stuff is, it's on the way and he's sensing it and folks on their center and right are sensing it and they're kind of terrified in some ways of AOC and what she represents and Bernie. Um, and this is, you know, this is the right moment then to kind of exploit some of those tendencies right. that we on the left have. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> I was... Uh, I don't need the exact quote, but sure. to your point, though, AOC was after the she was asked about when Trump said America will never be a socialist country. And before I saw what she said or was talking about it in group chats uh, with comrades. And I was like, he, you know, if someone was pointing out this is just he's just this is just prophecy. Like exactly. he's just calling it into that's being. Right, that's right. And. You know, as like he's helping the cause. Exactly. Right? Well, like as a Hegelian. Right. He. This is his way of making it real. Now, is that intentional? I don't. I right. I doubt it. But at a certain point, almost, I kind of wonder uh, 
if he isn't just like, you know, <laughs> like the, you know, the Joker in Batman. Like, do I look like a guy who's got a plan? <laughs> but there's still this out that even with that berserker like element, and I I define berserker as war on God. He's one of my favorite pro wrestlers of all time. <laughs> the the berserker. Okay. Remember that guy? I don't, but uh, I, I need to do some research. Anyway, um, so I was pointing out, like, oh, he's just like, of course he's saying this because he wants it to be real, so the only way he can get it to be real is to denounce it. You know, it's right. like, it's like, which is kind of just old hat in politics. Like, how do you know if something's true while well, it's being denied? Uh, so anyway, I was saying this stuff, and then immediately AOC's comments showed up on my news feed, and she was like, oh, I think it's great. I think he sees what's coming, and he's scared. Um, okay. So I'm looking at this picture of Berserker. Oh, wow. He was pretty intense. That's Mr. Fuji was his manager, if you recall, that's, Mr. Fuji. That's a nice uh, East-West alliance they got going <laughs> Exactly. There. In any case, I don't mean to interrupt what you're saying. Uh, no, that's the Berserker uh, picture I'm looking at, and we'll post it somewhere, sure. is a sleeveless, like, Viking dude. Viking dude. But he looks more like a Minnesota Vikings fan <laughs> with, like, the horn, <laughs> horn helmet. And he's holding his hand in that sort of supplication way, like either he's looking for a handout or he's giving something to you, despite his insanity. And he's flexing, like much like the president, right? And uh, I should point out that the idea that um, that Vikings wore these horned helmets—that <laughs> right. is not historically accurate. <laughs> that you don't was, say that was uh, well, but people think that it's real. Right. And as Zizek pointed out, that was uh, that was just the result of Wagner staging. Yeah. Um, the Valkyrie or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Ring, I think, was the opera. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so th this is totally a, a modern invention. Sure. So it's a very postmodern <laughs> perspective. Exactly. I mean, and again, we've discussed it before, but there are ways in which astoundingly pro wrestling seemed to sort of call the future into being and or sort of like oh, yeah. pave the way for all sorts right. of intellectual sort of... Um, Developments that I myself would come to make and didn't even know I was I was coming to that through pro wrestling at the time, but and it's a very I mean now that you mentioned it, I mean it's worth noting it's a very communist form in it in in a sense like I um, well so like I just oh man we could probably talk about this for a very long time but like <clears throat> you have God where to begin glow. Uh, sure, we can talk about Glow. All right. Have you seen Glow? Uh, a couple episodes, yeah. Oh, you haven't seen a whole season? No. The reason I say that is because Mark Maron... Mark Maron's character is so amazing. He's such a like scumbag... Like, is he the manager, director dude? Yeah. yeah. Um, He's really good. Right. And <clears throat> he actually... You know, I listen to his podcast a lot, but he gets on my nerves because mm -hmm. a lot of the liberal like talking points type of stuff. But in that show, he's just perfect. <laughs> Um, That's been my sense. Uh, so Glow is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Right. It's based on a real uh, women's wrestling league from the 70s. It was kind of this alternate. Uh, it, I mean, I don't think it was actually on. It wasn't on public access. It was like on sure. local either cable or local TV in L.A. in sure. the 70s or something like that. But, uh, yeah, they get definitely get into like these very explicit like Cold War themes, especially in the second season. Um uh, and this patriotism or whatever, what were you going to say about it? Because I, 
Oh, nothing. Just oh. that. I mean, we were talking communism, and I was thinking about oh, yeah. again. Having only seen two episodes, I'm like, wow, there's an interesting feminist cell solidarity thing developing. Yeah. But well, I haven't seen what how where it goes. Yeah, because so it's the uninitiated. Alison Brie's character plays this like Russian, <laughs> this like cartoonishly Russian uh, antihero, and then antagonist, and then the the. the beautiful like powerful Amer- pro-american kind of like cheerleader mm-hmm. w- with like badass tendencies is like her foe or whatever uh it within the context of the the wrestle the storylines of the wrestling league um within the context of the show so the show is a fictionalized version of a real thing real phenomena but i just like personally um i i'm not a huge wrestling devotee like i don't know that much about the specific like trajectories I kind of was in and out of mm-hmm. my awareness of it like when I was really young like it was hard to not, especially with some of the people that we hung out with like hard to ignore like Hulk Hogan and um, it, Jesse Ventura well you know what this is going to be truly indeed a sad day for old Chico from Tijuana well, he's from Tecula, Mexico. Well, where? Yeah, that's a suburb of Tijuana. Who cares, you know? You ever been down there? You ever faced Chico's revenge when he'd sell you one of them tacos? Wow, 24 hours later, you pay for it, mean Along Jean. with a little Mexican tap water. Yeah. Yes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, et cetera. But, like, I, I was re-watching. I don't even know where I saw this. Some video of, like, Jesse Ventura. He was Jesse the Body Ventura, but he, he got into this, like, really dark patriotic uh, mode and what's interesting about it to watch it now is, you know, given the fact that he was elected governor of Minnesota, given the fact that he it, he runs this left wing show off mm-hmm. of RT, um, the world according to Jesse, formerly off the grid, where he interviews a lot of like kind of fringe type uh, political characters from the U.S., um, but also is like reporting on real stuff and is very skeptical of. He's sort of a libertarian. He's sort of a... It's two things. He's kind of like a right-wing libertarian and a leftist. Not a left libertarian per se. But I think if he pitched him on left libertarianism, he would generally agree. Um, But that reactionary shit is very interesting to watch because you can sort of see them playing out these ideological tendencies Mm -hmm. literally in the ring. And in America, that's... you know. That's the easiest way for us to do that. Yeah. Like I learned about politics through that. Yeah, like so. in musical, it's it's kind of like a musical. It's kind of like the closest Americans get to opera mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, the Clash of Titans and all this sort of otherworldliness of it. And then obviously in the meme world, that Vince McMahon meme has, you know, dominated, well, has been functionally useful for... <laughs> I mean, maybe six years. Like, uh, the whole modern era is defined right. by that stages of Vince McMahon uh, <laughs> right. relating to uh, different levels of whatever whatever the topic is. So, which is to say, it defines the form almost of memes. And then the obviously the crazy storyline of Donald Trump. Yep. Um, I was going to go there. Being on WWE yep. back in the day. And having him fucking beat the shit out of Vince McMahon mm-hmm. uh, on his own platform, right. on McMahon's own platform, you sort of see Trump like literally hijacking, re- he hacking. Was, he reality. became the president at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Argue. Not when, not when he bombed an empty Syrian airstrip, right. as Brian Williams would have it. 
But uh, yeah, when he when he beat Vince McMahon, sure. beat the shit out of Vince McMahon. This is an aside, but Brian Williams, I want to say, didn't he quote the like uh, the the futurists when that was happening? Uh, Marinetti was like, "We will be guided by the glow of our beautiful." Well, he said something. it was from a Leonard Cohen song, oh. but it probably was a. I think it was fut- a futurist. Oh, that's thing. even scarier. Yeah, Italian futurism is a yeah. violent. Uh, Aesthetic endeavor. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it has some sort of some visceral appeal. Like uh, Italian futurists were kind of like, we should drive cars really fast, and we should like go to the extreme. They're kind of like pre-accelerationists in terms of like uh, the the future was not what what was maybe good. What was maybe uh, inadvertently progressive about it, since it kind of was more it influenced the fascists. um, Ultimately, What, what was inadvertently progressive about it was showing how like violent and terrifying and potentially destructive and authoritarian uh, deployments of new technology right. could be. Um, but getting back to pro wrestling, mm-hmm. the, so <clears throat> I didn't come back to it maybe until I was in middle school. And at that time, Goldberg was dominant. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just fascinating to me, like, retroactively or whatever. Like I think, and also I had a very ironic relationship with it, even though I was kind of into it. And I think that's pretty common. And I didn't really get that at first. Like when I was younger, I was like, this is fucking stupid. What's the point? But now I see, Oh, okay. Like people get that. It's the fact that it's dumb is part of it's a draw, Right. right? Not for everybody, but for a lot of people. Um, and so it's just interesting to me that I was so I was having this conversation with my friend the other night about he, he started dating this girl and him and I are like huge, like, you know, cinephiles, movie guys, whatever. And so he she, she was he was like, who's your what's your favorite movie or something like that? Who's your favorite actor? And she's like Mel Brooks, <laughs> which was like he was he was shocked that she even knew who he was, uh, let alone that's her favorite. And. He's like, oh, what's your favorite movie? And she's like, Young Frankenstein. He's, she's like, I'm surprised you know who Mel Brooks is. And he's like, I'm surprised you know who Mel Brooks is. And uh, <laughs> touche. So, uh, and this is relevant because he was pointing out that like when he was younger, he he liked those movies like you know Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, uh, History of the World, Spaceballs, Spaceballs, of course. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have a concept of like what a Jew Jew was, sure. and I I was noting that I did when I was young, but I don't really know how. I think it was just, uh, I think a lot of it was probably like it was kind of subliminally. I was absorbing it through The Simpsons, like getting mm-hmm. this very, um, you know, very Jewish sense of comedy, uh, without maybe getting a lot of the jokes even, and then. You know, later, well, I, I just, I watched a lot of movies from, you know, time immemorial. I mean, who didn't at some point, but like it was very much a focus of my consciousness uh, for, you know, always has been. And so I think just the permeation of like New York film, I somehow got s- some cultural sense of Judaism, even though we're in the most, one of the most Gentile places probably mm-hmm. in the in the U.S. I think statistically we just about are. Yeah. Um and so I bring this up because Goldberg was, I was like, he was like the dude, you know? Um, and he was like, he was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about that, right. but it was almost like I intuited it somehow. Um, and I think like, and then he was kind of, wasn't he like adversarial with Steve Austin or something? Like yeah, that? probably. And so then Steve Austin was obviously like the most Protestant 
like Texan. Yeah, of all time. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> like, uh, these cultural politics are always playing out. Um, interesting, you know, and then like The Rock maybe is going to run for president. Exactly, or I was going to get to that too. Um, and Diamond Dallas Page now has this really like apparently like this version of yoga that is very transformative, and, like yeah. legitimately like functionally healing a lot of people. Save Jake the Snake's life. Yeah, right? yeah. Jake the Snake Roberts. Right. <clears throat> um, and so like the, you know, maybe we should be taking wrestling more seriously mm -hmm. as like a way. It's just a mean since it's it's sort of seen as trash and ignored like right. it, it that opens it up like much like with the lifetime R Kelly show it, it opens the door for like playing out these ideological right. conflicts right. in popular culture directly. Um, oh, and this is what, this is the big, like, uh, I think the, the <laughs> speaking of glow, um, the, to me, one of the most like amazing cultural moments uh, looking back, and I wasn't really, I wasn't around for this, it, at least not consciously, was Andy Kaufman when he would wrestle women uh, as like this performance art. This, you know, Andy Kaufman was this avant garde comedian who would like, uh, Jim Carrey made a film, uh, Milos Forman directed called Man in the Moon in the late 90s, but a documentary came out about the making of that film called uh i think it's andy and me or something uh with jim carrey on netflix and it is fucking amazing so uh, jim carrey stayed in character the whole production wow the camera was not run like at all times like on the phone like you couldn't get him out of character and he was consciously fucking with everybody as much as possible which is what andy kaufman used to do mm -hmm. so and to give you an example andy kaufman would be doing a comedy show to like a sold out auditorium one time he read The Great Gatsby, <laughs> like in a straight way. He just read the whole, and people were walking out. He couldn't have picked a more terrible novel to read. Oh, wow. Oh. That's uh, okay. Zany. All right. I'm just kidding. We're, we're throwing out gauntlets. That's, I do not share that opinion. That is not the official no, opinion of the show. It's not. No, I actually don't hate it that much. I, just, I, I love it, but that's, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, anyway, so Andy Kaufman had a, he had a, I'm sorry. He had a uh, what, uh, alter ego named Tony Clifton, mm -hmm. who was just this scumbag, f like fat, bald, huge mustache, uh, sort supposed to be like a club comic, mm -hmm. but just like totally misogynistic and just hateful and just <laughs> and, like you can't take it on its face. Like it's just disgusting, and who would want to deal with it? You you watch it play out, and it is fucking hysterical. Like it is amazing. Like he was the master of the form because he was just like Andy knew Andy Kaufman knew how to just fuck with people and turn that itself yeah. into comedy. Well, <clears throat> um, so you have this that what was so fascinating to me about this Jim Carrey documentary was seeing how so Andy was or he was doing performance art as Andy Kaufman. Um, and then he would show up as Tony Clifton sometimes. Mm. And so you have like Jim Carrey being this like misogynistic asshole or being drunk. Like it, it got to the point where he was taking it out into the streets. He yeah. went on Arsenio Hall drunk and was, this was dirt right after the LA riots saying shit that was like, he was like pro Reginald Denning, like the guy who got killed on the street. Yeah or whatever in during the riots and like, uh, 
like Arsenio was not happy. The audience was like, nobody got the joke. This yeah. was all going on just for Jim Carrey himself. Sure. And I'm not saying I support that. What I'm saying is like, he really was trying, he was like trying to intervene into reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what I what I found fascinating about the form of Andy Kaufman being this like fake he he was like it was like fake misogyny trying to wrestle women to, to prove how strong men were <laughs> during the height of like to whatever third wave feminism sure. or second wave feminism, um, and the but it was clear that the point was to undermine patriarchy that it was an impotent gesture and mm -hmm. it was intentional but by taking it seriously it it, it was explosive mm -hmm. and it allowed this conflict this ideological conflict to play out likewise with tony clifton like somebody who was so out of touch and just didn't give a shit and was so confident about it you know again blew up this other version of patriarchy in the moment and so there's there's this feminist dimension to it again in a d darkly dark sort of way by over identifying with patriarchy it made it ridiculous it made right. it stupid um and so <clears throat> i think wrestling has the ability in a very direct tangible way to achieve uh these these things without any consequence and maybe that's where you were going to go but i was going to say from Dwayne the rock johnson potentially running for president to our current president having been on pro wrestling that's what we see right now too is and you know you and i agree this guy has said and done some horrible atrocious things but in some strange dark way um he sort of helped expose all of that stuff, misogyny, right. patriarchy, sexism, the sort of uh, impotence of the left in a variety of ways and helped their cases in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this again, the most left-wing president since Nixon. I just tried to make <laughs> a brief list here, you know, eventually, basically eventually saying, yeah, we're going to stay in Kurdistan because we're going to protect those people, right? Which is right. not even Obama would necessarily have done that as explicitly to yeah. the pro-nuclear stuff, to calling socialism into being at the speech. And also... Uh, he made an interesting comment at the State of the Union just this week about, again, he's attacking the Robert Mueller stuff, but he also said in that statement, An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. Right? Which right. I was like, oh, you know, we're hearing from the media on the left about how badly John Bolton wants to go to Iran or something. And I don't know if Trump does too, but I mean, he's basically, he said, you know, these foreign entanglements are, this is a terrible idea. And that's right, right out of the left's playbook. Yeah. Right? And Trump has this, I, I think like, um, well, so Trump wants, yeah, he's doing seemingly contradictory things. Maybe they are contradictory. He's doing contradictory things like, um, so the Kurdish example, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it privately. Uh, but so Trump was like, we're pulling out of Syria. In but a tweet, the, yeah. Yeah, we're pulling out of Syria. And then immediately er Erdogan, the president of Turkey, took that as a signal. Oh, I can just roll into right. roll into Kurdish-controlled um, Turkey and mm -hmm. northern Syria and Iraq uh, because he's wanted to do that. Well, he's been attacking the Kurds for right. decades. But... Um, or not just him, Turkey has. Then Trump found, like, I don't, it, it, it seems like Trump didn't really get that if he pulls out of Syria, that exposes the Kurds to right. attack. Because then immediately he told Erdogan, if you attack the Kurds, we will destroy your economy. <laughs> right. Now, Obama wasn't saying shit like that. No. 
Um, and so <clears throat> that is very, you know, again, maybe it's cynical or I'm sure it is, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the fact that an American president is saying that and then the and I'm 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 sort of illuminating some of this for my own thinking, but also just like in the situations where Trump has wiggle room, like in the state of the union where he can say whatever he wants, yeah. uh, he will say shit like that. He will say shit like that in debates. He will say shit like that to the media. Like one of the things that was so fucking glorious about Trump's early run was the entire, I was getting, I was getting furious and terrified because in the winter of, yeah, it was, it would have been the winter of 2015 Obama, like on, a Sunday night got on TV and was basically signaling that we're going to go into Syria. And I was freaking out, like, you know, furious, like he's going to, this is going to kill 2 million people. Um, and <clears throat> Trump around the same time and the whole, the whole neoliberal establishment on all sides was saying, you know, it was some version of how do we go into Syria? Right. We got to do this. Trump was like, what the fuck are we going into Syria for? He's like, we should get, he's like, not only should not go into Syria, we should get out of Iraq or something like yeah. that. And the CNN reporter was just didn't, was just taken aback. Like, right. whole, what is, who is this fucking guy? <laughs> he's like to the left of the whole establishment at that moment. And so like, if you give Trump a little, you know, you let him off the leash a little bit, like in these moments, he will say shit like that. Cause that's presumably maybe what he thinks at that moment. Right doesn't negate the fact that we're threatening to invade Venezuela and Iran. And, and that he would bomb Syria later. And even if it was uh, an well, empty airstrip or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which was an interesting move because be for that reason, mm. like he didn't go bomb Damascus, right. he bombed an empty airstrip that was functional and like it was just for show. Yeah. And it seemed like it was to get the neoliberals off his back as the pro wrestling move. Right. Anyway. <laughs> it was like, it was acting a distraction. Yeah. yeah. Like you do some over here and then he's not looking, you hit him <laughs> in the right, head with the fucking fist up chair. here and you punch him with the, <laughs> the other right. one. Right. And so, um, like it, it's, it's legitimately a mixed bag, I yeah. think. Um, and it's hard to pin Trump down. Like uh, the, you know, like Chomsky had said, well, okay. Like even Michael Moore said, Trump beat Hillary Clinton cause he ran to the left of her mm -hmm. on everything basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the liberals don't want to admit that the establishment media doesn't want to admit that because it, you know, they're like Jimmy Dore's pointing out these people, MSNBC, they are paid by military industrial complex. Right. They're paid by Boeing. They're paid General by Electric, Lockheed Martin, yeah. General Electric, war profiteers, big pharma, fossil fuel companies. So towing the line for them is we need to attack Trump and call him a Russian spy. Like I was always like kind of satisfied by the fact that like, in this pro wrestling manner in, in a, in an indirect way, they're calling him a communist, right? Like he's a Russian, <laughs> right? he's a communist. Like they're pissed he's off. Nikolai he's Nikolai Volkov. Yeah, right? Cause yeah. he's a, he's, he's Brezhnev. Like they're pissed <laughs> off because somehow we elected a Stalinist. Um, and so there's just a little tiny, like hair of formal truth to that in, mm -hmm. in terms of what we're saying. Um, and for that reason, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. AOC, well, uh, the left should be pushing AOC to, you know, come out and support nuclear and then have her turn around, go to Trump and say, OK, like this will so this will solve both of our problems. Right. You're pro nuclear. Let's just go further. Mm -hmm. That would give Trump the leeway to really 
uh, expand nuclear yeah. development and maybe save the world, literally save well, the world. I was going to say, get him reelected, save the world, all that stuff. Yeah. He'd be a fool not to take it. Exactly. And uh, he's, since he already agrees with it, it would seem like, might feel like pandering to him. Right. Because I think compromise to him, he's... If someone is pretend, I, you know, this was always my thing about if Corbin got into power before Trump got ousted or whatever, my thought was like, just Corbin should just manipulate Trump into doing this really left wing shit. Just just pander to him and mm -hmm. he'll like it and then mm -hmm. he'll go along with it because that seems to work on him. Um, so the <clears throat> what was the third thing you said? You said the. Uh, uh, the Kurds, and then uh, the state out of foolish wars, the nuclear oh, stuff, yeah. and calling socialism into being. Uh, right. But there's other examples. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and this is this is the strange new world we whatever we live in. Um, I think AOC could. I mean, she's to me at this point, she she fucking won. Mm -hmm. She's the interim president right, right now. That's where everybody's looking. Nobody's taking seriously Elizabeth Warren. Uh, nobody's taking seriously Kamala Harris. That's the establishment. Um, that's who the establishment's propping up, but it's not working. And unfortunately, or fortunately, strangely, Cory Booker has come out as a huge pro-nuclear advocate on the grounds of environmentalism. So all AOC has to do is say, Booker's right about this. We should do this, but he's wrong about you know, keeping prescription drugs from Canada right. for me important. Move. So I, I, yeah, we should talk about those presidential candidates. I just wanted to mention, <clears throat> you mentioned Elizabeth Warren and I thought I'd bring up that just this week, again, unless it's a hoax, what I'm seeing is, um, you know, this uh, registration for the, um, the state bar of Texas is the, to be a lawyer, of course, the mm -hmm. bar association there. There's a, allegedly Elizabeth Warren signed, um, document and where she she writes as her race American Indian, which is now she's apologizing for and so on. Okay. Uh, Bottom left. Yeah. Oof. 1986, which is interesting because she there was another document revealed that she was a card carrying Republican until 1996. <laughs> sure. And so, so yeah, I mean, we have all these candidates who are trying to vie for president. AOC is too young to even run herself, um, but she could. I imagine if she's smart about this, she could totally control the, the agenda or the candidate that ends up moving forward. Absolutely. And sort of uh, help, help set the agenda. Right. And the, the Republicans are, she, she could get the, she's going to have a heart. This is like, I mean, the theme of this show maybe, or just like the theme of America, the American left uh, in the last decades, she's going to have an easier time getting Republicans on her side than mm -hmm. establishment Democrats. Mm -hmm. The establishment Democrats are unmovable functionally. What I liked about the, some of the responses of the Green New Deal on the Republican side, this is how I knew it was progressive, you know, the nuclear question aside, was they were like, this is impossible. Right. <laughs> Basically, Good. as soon as you start calling something impossible, now it is entering the realm of the possible. Exactly. You know, if psychoanalysis teaches us anything. <laughs> uh, the impossibility is a condition of possibility. So, <clears throat> uh, structurally, for, 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 a, for a Lacanian which is to say a leftist. Um, and so the, uh, I, the, the more we're hearing shit like that, the better. You, right. you get them to scream, then people, you know, people's ears perk up, people understand it. Uh, they start to understand it differently. The problem is when it's not on the table. And uh, the value of, I mean, there's a lot of value. AOC is just going so much further than anyone else mm -hmm. is willing to go, including Bernie, on a lot of issues. Right. Um, and just even the, again, the form of engagement, like 
you know, all this, say what we will about the Green New Deal, if not for AOC and how immediate her support of even the protesters in Pelosi's office, uh, as well as other, this would have been off, this wouldn't have been on the table for another two to five years, and then mm -hmm. we'd be totally fucked, even worse than we are now, right. if not for AOC's interventions. Um, the, and, you know, our more local congresswoman from Minneapolis, uh, how do you, can you, how do you pronounce her name? You don't mean Klobuchar, do you? No, no, no. Yeah. No, the, um, Il Ilhan Omar? Yeah. Yeah. The Muslim woman? Yeah. She's been the most full throated in denouncing this uh, attempt to support the coup in Venezuela. Sure. Which, again, this totally violates all neoliberal rules right. that, uh, about how we're supposed to relate to. Um, this now, oh, here's my here's my pitch for Trump as a communist regarding Venezuela. Not because he wants to invade. I'm not even sure if it's him. To be honest with you, I'm not. I, I don't. I, that's a little bit unclear to me. I don't. The, what I think Trump is doing is I think this the 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 shutdown standoff border wall standoff thing was just Trump. That's his Alamo. He's mm -hmm. just he knows he's. As he knows how stacked the house is against him and that it's just at best gridlock from here on out. So right. he's just leaning into it. And uh, the Venezuela thing is timed such that I think he's just trying to create crises that gets him to uh, like the election. Yeah. Once the reelection, once the election campaign starts, he's kind of like he can breathe again because the focus is different. So he's got eight months of like bullshit to fucking throw around. But if, again, in, in, in a dark sort of unintentional way, if Trump were to seriously try a ground invasion of Venezuela in the midst of a second shutdown, I mean, to me, that's just him begging people to overthrow the government. Right. Like, well, what else is like that's you're going to start a war in the middle of a government shutdown when the House is against the Congress who funds you is against the you know, they control the spigot of money. That does not. That's not the recipe for a for success. Mm -hmm. um, and so, <clears throat> no, I don't think he's actually. I mean, they, maybe they are going to invade Venezuela, but that would be the worst country to invade. And here's why: I think they're more armed per capita than we are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, Venezuela has a lot of guns mm -hmm. and a lot of poverty and a lot of flavelas. Nothing to lose. Yeah, and. They probably know what they're doing right. a little bit better tactically than than us, and so it would just be a disaster. Now, I think the very dark reading of this would be, if they do it, they want to see what happens when you invade a highly, highly armed, highly urbanized society like the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what happens in a real civil war type situation? I hope that's not the as far as it gets. Again, these or denouncing the any move towards supporting a coup in Venezuela. Um, that is a huge, it, it's an ethical disaster, moral disaster. Um, the people will suffer. Political but, and financial disaster, yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> this helps no one uh, except, you know, again, sort of get the focus off of Trump temporarily until the election starts again but there there again where's the left on this if if Elon Omar is the only person in Congress really I well except I think Rokana and Tulsi Gabbard are also opposed I don't know about AOC I assume kind of um, 
that's a very small contingent. And where is the left on this? Where is the anti-war left? It's it seems very limited in in terms of its existence anymore, and that's a problem. That's our fault uh, mm -hmm. for not not more vehemently opposing militarism and taking that as what used to be a taken for granted principle, even among liberals, right. seemingly. Um, it shows how far to the right we've gone. So we're forced to, maybe that's kind of what we're saying, we're forced to rely on like berserkers like Trump to, you know, stir up enough shit so that the left can exploit it, at least ideologically. Right. We, so since we last uh, recorded, we haven't, I mean, the last few episodes we hadn't touched on politics proper and the presidential, potential presidential candidates on the on the Democratic side in a while. But you mentioned already, and maybe we should get to this and we should talk about in some detail, Cory Booker, you already mentioned Elizabeth Warren. And then since our last uh, discussion of that, uh, Kamala Harris yeah. has made an announcement and uh, maybe a few others I'm missing. But I know, um, I think we both have some thoughts on, on Kamala Harris. But. Yeah, so Kamala Harris as I pronounce it, because it's just a little easier. I don't know what's <laughs> right. I assume it's right. Um, she was the, what was she's the, what, district attorney in San Francisco or uh, something. Yeah. And Jimmy Dore's already started to dig up some pretty nasty shit. Uh, like, she was, <clears throat> she decided to punish with jail time the parents of truant children. Well, who are truant children in San Francisco? They are probably poor, and they are probably people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, primarily and the, to the point where even a homeless woman got, they brought charges again. They eventually wow. dropped the charges, but I mean, this is just disgusting hatred of the poor. And this is what the Democrat, this is who the Democrats have decided is, you know, someone to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, she's supposedly supports Medicare for all. She, well, actually she said that she does mm -hmm. kind of in a full throated way. And then the next day got pressure and then backed off. Well, I'm open to Medicaid X, Medicaid X. Or, I think that's one of the options. Yeah. Um, and these other like insurance friendly type plans rather than Medicare for all, which is the only solution to our problem that will work. Um, Nancy Pelosi has already, I think stated openly that there will be no vote on Medicare for all. They will not be brought to a vote. Um, before 2020. So all of this talk is bullshit. Um, and <clears throat> so like, I mean, there's probably plenty more to say negatively about Kamala Harris, but she's just, she's the pre-approved democratic corporate Democrat establishment candidate. That's mm -hmm. who they, that's who they'll back. And I mean, I get it. She's, she's, uh, she's sharp. She's smart. She's, mm -hmm. She looks good. She sounds good. That's female, all. Female, yeah. She'll back the, all these corporate plays. That's mm -hmm. all they give a fuck about. Um, Elizabeth Warren, sort of seen as a Bernie light, but uh, you know, not doesn't go far enough. Mm -hmm. Is is pro capitalist as mm -hmm. far as it goes. Um, it did not, you know, didn't really do anything to protect the American. Uh, the American economy against the corporate onslaught. Oh yeah. That's a, one of the big things about Kamala Harris. She didn't prosecute Steve Mnuchin for, mm. um, whatever financial crimes when sure. she had the opportunity. Who is now to. the, whatever secretary of the treasury. <laughs> right. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, Cory Booker killed the bill to import, reimport 
prescription drugs from Canada, which are radically lower the price for low-income people like old people, uh, people on fixed incomes. And when I say killed the bill, I mean, I don't mean he voted against it. I mean, mm -hmm. he made sure when it had support in the Senate, he, he's the one who went around and got Democratic votes, mm -hmm. including Heidi Heitkamp, right. to kill this legislation. Um, he's no friend of the worker. Thankfully, a friend of nuclear power. I'll take that. Wasn't he pro uh, sort of privatization of public schools, too? Oh yeah, I, maybe I'm. I'm not as familiar. Sure. I just I've just never heard anything good that he's done except the pro nuclear thing recently. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, people want Joe Biden to run. I don't. Oh, I, I mean, what what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> like what? I don't know. <laughs> what year is it? Why why is this still on the table? Like. You know, and no discussion in the mainstream, of course, right. of the most popular politician in the country, Bernie Sanders. I was going to ask, do we, is, do we know if he's announced a run yet? Yeah, I think I mean, he has. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. Maybe not. Now, Tulsi Gabbard's announced, and she's getting, mm, that's right. she's getting hammered this by is the, the Hawaiian candidate. Uh, yeah, Hawaiian congresswoman, yeah. veteran, uh, very critical of the democratic establishment mm -hmm. she resigned as she was one of the vice chairs of the dnc she resigned over the m mistreatment of bernie sanders um during 2016 during the primary process um she she's she she's basically she's getting attacked because she met with assad met with assad yeah. i think secretly right or yeah Obama's she, approval well she was trying to like figure out Allegedly, the idea was she was trying to figure out what was going on in Syria, whether or not we should be there. Yeah. And so she's being attacked as like an Assad apologist when all she's basically saying, and she can, she, you know, there are things to be critical of her for on the left, probably about Assad, dealings with Assad. But her, her main, the main thrust of what she's saying is that, uh, he's not a threat to the U.S. Therefore, why the fuck are we in there? Mm -hmm. Which is a, you know, the, the correct question, um, that's what she's getting attacked for, questioning the, you know, whatever, divine uh, right of the U.S. to just mm -hmm. go wherever the fuck we want and do whatever we want uh, militarily. And she's, you know, part at least part of the story, she's disillusioned from her experiences in, in Iraq. What mm -hmm. the fuck were we doing there? Um, all it did was bring death and destruction. To, right. it, it just, you know, created the conditions for ISIS, Killed a million people, right. uh, displaced however many, and then were and led to the Syrian reality. Yeah, yeah, which were then just a, repeat, a repetition of the same unfortunate, well, dastardly and horrific consequences. <laughs> dastardly. What is this? Nineteen twenty. Yeah. Well, is it? it? Is? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> touche. You're right. I was going to say too. The only I haven't followed it closely, but I know she's been. Uh, criticized for some of her comments or opinions on maybe it was gay marriage on so the LGBTQ issues a decade ago. Yeah, and but she's since evolved. she's since apologized and renounced right. her work. Uh, that she was basically raised by very reactionary. Like her dad was really reactionary about gay people, and then she kind of had a transition of perspective and is now fully supports gay marriage and gay people mm -hmm. and. Uh, renounces her involvement with yeah. conversion therapy and stuff like that. The, uh, and so, I mean, to that point, then, I was going to say, I, I wanted to get your sense of this slew of candidates so far, and I was going to say, uh, you know, Bernie aside, none of them are really inspiring me, except I don't want to say Tulsi Gabbard's inspiring me, but I've seen her um, criticized 
most heavily by my friends who are sort of as moderate liberals. And that makes me excited about her, right? Not right. knowing exactly why, just that it's the person they don't like. <laughs> so yeah. that I do like her uh, more so than, again, Kamala Harris or, or Cory Booker or whomever. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I basically agree. Like, Bernie's the only, Bernie's the only viable, he's the only one with a viable platform. Does sure. it need to be Bernie? I don't care. Uh, right. But if he's the only one willing to step, step up and do it because AOC can't run, um, then so be it. And people will back, I mean, he'll, I don't, I don't, uh, it's tough. It's tough to say. Uh, what I want to say is, I don't think they can steal it from him again because it's it's not 2016 and right. everybody's on his team now. Ever the whole population is on his team, but that doesn't mean they won't. Right. Um, and by they, I mean the DNC. So we have proof that the DNC cheated Bernie out of the primary uh, and gave us Donald Trump. <clears throat> proof from them, internal documents. Donald Brazil admitted it. Um, there's no there's no hiding it anymore, and. So if if Bernie doesn't get elected, or if, if Bernie's not the candidate, then the situation we find ourselves in, my prediction will be, my prediction is that um, Bernie, if Bernie's not the candidate, the, the Republicans, if there's a pretense of Republican primary, the result of that will be they will sound. They will be talking about Medicare for all and mm -hmm. ending all foreign wars. Mm -hmm. They will be taking Bernie's platform, re-tinkering with it a little bit, and running on that plus as, nuclear. Uh, probably, yeah, exactly, as a way to try and oust Trump. Um, for one, uh, mm -hmm. meaning if they're trying to put somebody in his place to run as Republican nominee, or Trump will just take all this on, right? And he will go even then further to the left than he was running in 2016, right? Uh, and then he'll win. Exactly. So, um, and this is what I said in 2016. You, Bernie wins. Bernie's going to win the election. The question is, which Bernie do you want? Do you want the right. Do you want the real Bernie or do you want Trump? Which is like sort of a bizarre world. Bernie. <laughs> berserker Bernie. Yeah, Berserker Bernie. <laughs> Bernie or Berserker Bernie. That's those are those are our choices, and those will be our choices again. Um, and it should be noted that. <clears throat> I think one of the most fascinating elements of before Trump got to DC and when he was just sort of, he was allowed to kind of do his own thing for the first, you know, couple weeks after the election. What was he doing? Well, he had Tulsi Gabbard up to Trump tower, supposedly pitching the idea, throwing around the idea of making her secretary of state. Yeah. That would have been the most left wing move in American political right. history, maybe in 40 years. Right. Um, because she's anti-interventionist like he claimed to be. Uh, and he had, and then the, the, you had this sort of parade of, uh, of black, uh, like famous black leaders like Kanye and Jim Brown, mm. all supporting tr this str very yeah. strange, uh, I mean, it was glorious. I loved it, but, um, I, I feel like once the election starts, Trump will, Trump will be more comfortable and he'll, he'll start saying, he'll start saying what he thinks, which is we need Medicare for all we need. Uh, to end the wars, we need to get out all this stuff. And, you know, I need your help to do it. Like, I think the problem with one of the... Uh, Putin said this in an interview with Oliver Stone before the election, uh, where it was... It wasn't clear if... Uh, it maybe it was after Trump was elected, but um, Putin was asked by Oliver Stone, like, well, what do you think? Will Trump be able to change things like he says he wants to? 
And Putin's like, uh, unfortunately, the U.S., you know, like Russia or whatever, I think that's, I think he said like Russia, but he said the U.S. has a very strong uh, bureaucracy mm-hmm. and it's, it's almost impossible for any president to, you know, change much right. for that reason. And we find that that seems to be how it played out. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the big problems with the, the swamp or whoever attacking Trump for so long over all of this shit is that Trump, well, I'm, I'm sort of sympathetic to some of Trump's choices in terms of who he's putting in cabinet positions and positions of power because, not because I like them, but because the fact that the reason he's putting all these cretins in his White House is because no one will work with him. Mm-hmm. Well, so who's left? Of course, it's people like, you know, these sort of like, dungeon dwelling <laughs> monsters like John Bolton, uh, people who are, have been laughed out of DC. Since Michael Cohen. Boy, yeah. Just, I mean, Scaramucci, we all love him, but, uh, <laughs> like bring him back, please bring him back. Trump. That's all we ask please. on this show. We have modest demands, full nuclear power, full communism, bring back Scaramucci. <laughs> um, and so, like, uh, you, you know, you box somebody in and you take away his ability to do anything, then, of course, he's going to, like, literally out of desperation. No options. And yeah. that doesn't make Trump some big, like, I'm not saying he's a great strategic mind. He, right. He's or a ser- martyr. He, he clearly, yeah, right. Not at all. But, like, wh- what is he supposed to do at a certain point? Um, and that that's what's dangerous to me is, again, like, since he doesn't, you know, if the if the Democrat if the liberals take themselves take their position seriously, that Trump really doesn't know what he's doing, he's an idiot. You need to help him, mm-hmm. like you need to not help him do what he wants to do, but you need to like figure out how to influence Give him, him. Some wins, yeah, uh, on your terms. Right. Like use that as an opportunity to right. capitalize on, rather than just sort of sitting back and complaining and uh, screaming about it you know, clutching pearls and wringing hands for two years and then nothing gets done. And now we're in a position of probably worse deadlock until 2020. Uh, that does not bode well for the country. That does not bode well for any progressive ideals. Um, you know, unfortunately, because probably because Bernie didn't say, all right, the Democrats fucked me, let's get in the streets. Like Jimmy Dore's calling for him to call for now. Like Jimmy Dore's prediction is, <clears throat> as I recall, they're going to screw Bernie out of the nomination again. And it's only if, if at that point, then Bernie says, all right, fuck him. Let's get in the streets. That's when things will change. Mm-hmm. If Bernie had done that after June 8th, 2016, or after the election, we might have uh, an even strong, we might have 20 AOCs. Right. Um, some of whom are old enough to run for president. Right. Uh, I think if AOC was able to run for president, she'd get 70% of the popular vote. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I need to make an argument about why that is. Mm-hmm. I think that's just transparently obvious. Um, that being the case, Bernie's the only option that we have so far. Um, if he if he gets screwed again and does not call for us to, for an American yellow vest movement or whatever, some version of that, mm-hmm. we will not get Medicare for all. We will not get full nuclear. We will not get a Green New Deal. We will get continued deadlock and Trump will remain in power, handcuffed, but also incapable of, you know, real leadership anyway. Mm -hmm. Where does that leave us then four years after with less time to solve climate change? Um, There was a quote from the podcast Chapo Trap House 
which is kind of a left-wing Brooklyn-based uh, podcast, and they were saying s- similar stuff to what we've talked about, but maybe in even s- with a sort of a twist. Um, the idea was like either we get like some kind of a left uprising to take power and uh, in some sense um, install progressive policies at the very least, or we get genocide in the face of uh, climate crisis or climate collapse, climate chaos. Um, that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. And the, the uprising will not be from, if, if, the, if the left does not figure out a way to rise up, you know, take the, take the baton of the gilets jaunes and attempt to really intervene directly in a public life in a way that's, that puts real pressure that makes the politicians fear for their future then we we are headed toward more authoritarianism and more violence, either from a groundswell of uh, right-wing uprising or the state or a combination of both, probably the latter. Um, it doesn't. We won't end up in fascist Nazi Germany, as we've discussed. The U.S. is not centralized enough, and spatially even, for that to work, thankfully. But uh, the future will just get bleaker and bleaker. People mm-hmm. will get poorer and poorer and de- more and more desperate. And then demagoguery f- from the right will become more and more appealing as the left continues to ignore the reality of our situation. Right. Well, that's a happy, happy way to end it. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to end it. So, I, was, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, um, I mean, isn't, this was a story in the news uh, maybe a year ago now, um, I'm wondering if there's been any development. If you've heard, wasn't so, it was Cape Town or Johannesburg or somewhere in mm-hmm. South Africa? They were running out of water. Weren't they? Like right. they were already this out. summer. Okay, uh, there we go. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard where that's at, or I mean, or if that's whether you have or not. That's just a harbinger of probably what's to come if we don't take Green New Deal and nuclear seriously. Right. Exactly. That and that's sort of the uh, that's what interests me sometimes about like. South Africa and these these countries kind of these modernized countries on the periphery mm-hmm. of um, you know like um, the global south literally like the sort of more developed countries in the global south are very have a futuristic kind of feel to right. what goes on there so yeah in Cape Town they were running out of water as a result as kind of a direct result of climate change and this is a huge city I mean this right. is like a I, I think it's a mega city or you know I don't remember. But. Can you go- just Google their sure. population? I want to, sure. you know, at least I'm going to assume eight to 10 million people. Um, I think they kind of, they squeaked by because of just some fluke. It was like how California had been a, in a brutal drought and then all of a sudden they just got deluged with storms and it kind of, it, it kind of was a stopgap uh, until obviously this campfire took off this summer and <clears throat> California, you know, saw the the result the early results of like this vicious climate collapse on a small scale a pocket of what's to come probably a, a larger scale sure so it was cape town in there um it's actually as of 2011 i'm sure it's larger now unless they've all dissolved mm-hmm. because of the crisis but it was only about 500,000 oh so it's okay smaller than we thought oh wow well is johan how big is johannesburg i might just be getting it mixed up yeah that's what i was thinking too can you see how big Johannesburg is? Well, either way, so um, what I was saying about the periphery, these peripheral countries like like Argentina, for instance, mm-hmm. highly developed, they're energy independent. Oh, Johannesburg. Okay, so these are these are megacities, my mistake. So, the, But there are African megacities, just apparently not in South Africa. Um, but 
like South Africa, you know, with their brutal apartheid that went on for, you know, decades, probably maybe more than a century. Yeah. Um, the, and, and the, the rise of a communist, uh, ouster of that system where the ANC was communist initially, um, that we see sort of like in the nineties, a version of like what changing, you know, a civil rights movement that's even in a sense more, much more radical than what happened in the U S because they took, they took a real power. Plus they're a majority African, uh, you know, majority black, uh, country. And what, one of the shocking things about that was so like, and I, when I say interesting, I mean sort of darkly interesting, which is why maybe we get some of the most interesting science fiction film coming out of uh, South Africa, like um, the director, the South African director of Elysium and District 9. Chappie. Chappie, right? yeah. yeah. All very, like, futuristic in a, in a much different way yeah. than, uh, kind of more hood way than w- we see yeah. here. Which those is, films are hard for me to watch because they feel just too real, to right. be quite honest. yeah. Um, like that's where it's going to, we're headed. It's exactly. Right. Yeah. He made a series of short films too, that are really good. And there's one about this kind of interesting alien invasion in Texas where it sort of reverses the flow of like the, the refugees or the, the immigrants that are being discriminated against are all the white people. And then the, the aliens are sort of taking over and changing people's consciousness and stuff. Um, anyway, but, uh, South Africa, I was watching a documentary about the last days of apartheid and, so the Afrikaners are, I didn't, my understanding is that it's, it's a language that's like Afrikaans. Yeah. yeah. Afrikaans is a language created by white people to basically be more racist. Like it wasn't <laughs> racist enough right. to just be English. Right. They had to be Dutch. It wasn't racist enough to be Dave Matthews. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to stick it in and twist it on you there. All right. The thing about Dave Matthews, though, <laughs> politically, he showed up to Standing Rock. He did, yep. And not only did he play show like a, a benefit show like in a populous city, he also was at the casino mm-hmm. and he was on. He was at the camp. Sure. I like Dave Matthews. People. I like his songs. Oh no, no, no. I yeah, yeah. I know you're trying to fuck with me, and that's fine. <laughs> but I I do want to point out that sure. I was shocked looking back that uh, so Dave Matthews is he's from South Africa, but he left when he was really young. Mm-hmm. Um, but he saw a lot of the right. violence in that, that's, that informed a lot of his, like he's paradoxically, like he's seen as this frat boy band, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, that's earned. I mean, frat boys like, oh, I like him fine, whatever. But he <laughs> politically, he was always involved in farm aid. He was, he, he's from Charlottesburg. Right. And so was denouncing all the violence and of the Nazis and stuff. Um, but he, like it, it directly. It's interesting how that informs like his politics. Mm-hmm. In a, he's more like maybe not explicitly because he's he won't make political songs. Right. Um, but in terms of the stuff he does, like he's supporting the right, right. causes a lot of times. But um, the so but yeah. Anyway, the 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 hardcore like white racists, their last attempt at a power grab when they were totally outgunned, the, then they were rewrite the constitution was being rewritten and it was obviously favoring the black population, which is justified for a lot of reasons. The main one is because they're the most of the people, the, 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 um, I can't remember the Afrikaners or whatever were 
they were arguing, well, we're, we're not going to have any power. So what we should do is we should make the government consensus-based. Right. <laughs> Which wow. is the dirtiest trick I've ever heard of. But it, it, you know, it's, it sort of echoes, unfortunately, the, the obsession with consensus-based horizontality on the left, mm -hmm. even despite a lot of its flaws at scale. Uh, but the Afrikaners were cynically like, well, if we can get them to agree to consensus-based government, then we'll, we'll be, we'll still have power. But obviously that was rejected, thankfully. Um, but anyway, so that's sort of a harbinger from the future of like on the West, like mm -hmm. what happens at the periphery is often like a precursor to what we see. Um, the West of the United States, you mean? Uh, I mean, or just the West as a category, the West is a category yeah. that's, you know, ex the periphery, like the, what I mean is South Africa yeah. is a developed right. nation immersed in global capital, but capitalism fully integrated, but they're on the periphery, like in terms of being right. in at the, you know, horn of Africa right. and not seen as a big player, I would say, mm -hmm. um, in like how the West sees themselves sure. or whatever. I didn't know if given the water context, you were referring to the Western U S which is sort of running oh, out of water. I see what you're quick, saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, probably, yeah. I mean, it, it's sooner than later, yeah. probably, unfortunately. And, uh, and similar, like just to give a kind of a, so that's South Africa's in like a very, they're in a dire situation. They're pro they're kind of on the verge of civil war for other reasons. Like the, the land reforms, the land reforms taking place in South Africa, they're taking land from white farmers, giving it back to Africans. Um, there's, there's, I think there's formal discrimination against white people in South mm -hmm. Africa, again, to, to recoup for the right. problems of apartheid. I'm fine with that, uh, basically. Like, I'm not critical of that, but it's creating massive uh, social tensions, sure. political tensions. So that's, like, sort of the... What, what happens when the left takes power and if they're unable to integrate fully the white minority back into the society, it could create an extremely much more volatile situation. And then South Africa's kind of infinitely complex and I don't, I don't claim to understand it, but like, I just want to give a different example. Like Argentina is also like a very highly advanced country in a lot of ways. Um, it, like Argentina's economy pre in the nineties was such that their money Argentinians would, uh, their money was worth so much. They would vacation in the U S cause it was yeah. cheaper here. Yeah, wow. Um, and then that econ due to neoliberal reforms, IMF manipulations, their, their value, their doll, the peso collapsed, but there was, there's an uprising of like an attempts of collectivizing workplaces when the economy fell, uh, people, million people in the streets, you know, calling for basically a different society, that sort of thing. So we, there are, there are open, and uh, also in South Africa, there's, there are strong social movements, student movements, like very progressive and left wing and stuff like that. But we see, we can see kind of like precursors to um, problems moving forward in the future. And they, they sort of like make their way to the more stable Western powers over time and we obviously see Europe is having these the European Union is in trouble as an institution as an idea but we have like you know the the racism in Europe is getting to epic proportions like Zizek has said you know I'm never an anti-American uh in a cheap leftist way but 
Europe's getting worse than the U.S. even in terms of how much like anti-immigrant racism mm -hmm. and shit like that. Um, and all of this will be exacerbated by climate change. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it, it's been argued that climate change is responsible for the Syrian civil war mm -hmm. because it, they, f they faced a drought they hadn't seen in 500,000 years. Um, Egypt, like same thing. Food prices exploded because of, you know, climate instability that they didn't see coming. And as a result, it sparked the Arab Spring. So, you know, maybe in it, it, one of the good signs is that it can be progressive, at least at first, like in Egypt. But obviously, with the situation in Syria, that can be exploited by foreign powers to create un unimaginable horrors. Maybe by way of wrapping up, then we should just clarify: you are not a member of a fraternity, <laughs> ever, no, right? No, 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 there, no. So number one and number two, I said frat boys like it, <laughs> right. Dave Matthews, and I like ah, it. You weren't yeah, associating no. yourself with the frat. No, okay. I'm no, I would, I would not, and could not, even though I was getting <laughs> Sam. I am. Uh, yeah, I. It's like, uh, what's that like? Uh, Sam Beckett, like I'm not there or what? Uh, the, no, what's that play called? You know, what I'm with the mouth. You know. Oh talking. man, I do, but I forget. Yeah, well, anyway. A anyway, that's not. I right. could. I wouldn't have been able to bring myself to do right. it. So. But nonetheless, you weren't in a fraternity. No, you did like Dave Matthews. Yes. I like Dave Matthews. To there be we go. Quite honest. Now uh, that's a grenade for this audience. <laughs> and uh, as a way of uh, maybe wrapping up. Uh, the, the listener should um, pay attention for this uh, D. Antwort uh, song that oh, we'll yeah. play for you. Yeah, and the three Dave Matthews songs we'll put in this episode. <laughs> good night. Cr good night. Crash into me, Amos. <laughs> good night and good luck. You cannot quit me so quickly. There's no hope in you for me. No corner you could squeeze me But I got all the time for you, love The space between the tears we cry Is the laughter keeps us coming back for more The space between the wicked lies we tell Game.